making good nutritious products that are very useful. Um, we have probably the best sustainability story of any ingredient uh, out there. Um, we we are definitely fit into the entire biocircular economy of the food chain and, and nothing gets wasted. It all gets repurposed and reutilized. A whole new era of communication in the pet food industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds in the global pet food industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving, traveling, or running errands. It's never been this good, and it's never been this simple. We want to thank the innovative companies and products whose support and trust make this podcast possible. Trow Nutrition, the science of ingredients, nutrition, and blending. Chemin Nutrisurance is your pet food and rendering partner every step of the way. ProAmpac is changing the future of sustainable pet food packaging. Learn more at pets.proampac.com. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition. Make one call, find it all. Wilbur Ellis Nutrition, your partner for pet ingredients and services. ICC Animal Nutrition, adding value to nutrition. Welcome to the Pet Food Science Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and all that's working in the pet food industry. Well, hello, this is Dennis Jewell, and uh, I'm pleased to be here with Dr. Starkey this this fine day. Um, we're with the Pet Food Science Podcast, and we're going to talk about ingredients and animal animal product ingredients in pet food. And I'm pleased to have Dr. Starkey as an expert here to talk about it. I wonder if you could start, just tell us a little bit about your background and, and how you got into the position you're in today. Of course. I... Uh... I went to school and studied uh, mainly cattle and swine nutrition, and then uh, in Arkansas, where I grew up, grew up with a cattle background, and then I went to Kansas State and got my uh, PhD in, in swine, and, and we did a lot of poultry nutrition while I was there. Um, worked for uh, DSM uh, in the vitamin division for about 10 years. And then I uh, went to work for a rendering company, American Proteins, that, and got involved in regulatory rollouts and, and research and, and, uh, of par- and development of new products and things of that nature. And then I actually went into academia for about eight years and at Auburn University and had an opportunity to go back and work as the uh, vice president for scientific and regulatory affairs for the North American Renders Association. So it was a great Great opportunity, and uh, just started that last December. 84 million times a day, pets eat meals with ingredients from Trow Nutrition. We bring together the science of ingredients, nutrition, and blending to unleash possibilities for pet food brands. Premixes are just the start. Turn to Trow for higher inclusion ingredients too, like proteins and carbohydrates, and highly sensitive ingredients like probiotics. With our palatants and base blends, you can feel confident about what comes in our bags and goes in yours. Learn more at TroutNutritionPets.com. Well, I'm very pleased to have you to, to chat about this with us. Sounds like you've had a background that, that you know, we can really learn from. You know, one of the things I, so my background, of course, is using the products that we're going to talk about in pet nutrition. And, and one of the things people often sort of wonder about is, you know, why are we using these products? And I think the thing that 
that uh, you know a pet nutritionist brings to the party is that these products are used for the value of the pet, and so we are most interested in providing nutritional ex you know excellence uh, with the with the array of products that are available, and and the interesting thing about about pet nutrition is it it really wants to have quality products that perhaps the human nutrition chain at least in the U.S. Uh, isn't interested in consuming. And I wonder if you could just talk about that breakout as, you know, if you've got this this uh, live animal, if you will, coming through the, the system and some parts are going for human consumption, others for pet consumption. And could you just talk about that a little bit for us? Absolutely. Um, many years ago in, in several developed countries, we got, uh, I guess, a little picky about what we chose. And Muscle cuts are quite tasty and, and pretty nice. And so things like the variety meats, liver, heart, kidneys, uh, other organs uh, kind of fell to the wayside. And while they're still consumed uh, in a lot of areas go- globally, we choose not to put them typically on menus in the U.S., even though you can find a few uh few specialty restaurants where you can go go have kidney or, or, or liver still, but it's it's pretty rare. So when you look at animal production and processing, the animals, at least in the US, are produced for those whole muscle cuts. And and that's what we want on our menu typically. So in the case of poultry, you basically leave thirty to thirty-five percent of the animal unused. In the case of beef and, and swine, you're talking closer to 50, 55% of the animal unused. Hmm. That product has to go somewhere. If, if we did, if we took that to a landfill, we would have landfills, every landfill in North America full in about four years uh, with some, some very dangerous disease vectors and things like that. So uh, many years ago, we started rendering. Renderings in ancient science. Um, we used to render tallow for soaps and candles and, you know, several millennia ago, but we started rendering these co-products and making very nutritious uh, feed ingredients out of them. And, you know, when you when you cook, everything undergoes a chemical change. And so as as a fellow nutritionist, my interests are actually on what amino acids are left. Are those amino acids available to the animal? And when we talk about, you know, not, not all pets are dogs and cats, but those are the majority Cats are definitely obligate carnivores. Dogs are uh, pretty omnivorous, but but seem to prefer meat. And those ingredients that we process and, and basically rendering this cooking and dehydrating, they turn into uh, protein meals that have a very complementary amino acid um, composition to for the health and, and growth of the animal, and and then high energy animal fats, which. So supply some saturated fats that that animals need for growth and as well. Well, it's interesting. You know, I was on the AFCO uh, Nutrition Subcommittee where we set the uh, requirements for for these nutrients you're discussing, and it's it, it's interesting to me that first of all, animals need fat. You know that we don't we don't sort of normally think of fat as as an essential nutrient because we think of the fatty acids, but, but there's a benefit for fat in general, obviously, as you mentioned, for palatability, but also then for vitamin absorption, for energy 
uh, provision. So there's really a value in fat. And then, of course, we think of the amino acids and proteins that that we have, and, and we have both essential and non-essential amino acids. What do you do to kind of assure, you know, the pet that it's getting for us as a pet uh, pet nutritionist that that's getting the amino acids that aren't that aren't unavailable that that by the time you know we get them that they actually can be used by the pet. Right. There, there's a lot of tests done. Uh, pepsin digestibility is done very often. Uh, it's, it's an okay indicator. It's, 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 uh, works well for, for spot checks. There are other assays that have been done historically, while not as frequently, but available lysine. The uh, University of Missouri has a bioassay for uh, available lysine that's not bound in, in a Maillard type reaction. As well as we do uh, uh, chick digestibility assays, uh, I was involved with uh, uh, other students at K State. We did a ton of those uh, for a pet nutrition company, looking at um, amino acid digestibility using a chick model, and, yeah. and and there's been swine models used as well. Um, so those studies are all done, and and if there's ever a question, you know, a pet food company and a uh, a rendering company can go in together and get an assay done on a product, but that ensures that those amino acids are available for the animal to use and, and, and metabolize. Well, that's a great thing for the pet because I think what what you're describing is a value to the pet, not to the ingredient line. And and I admit, you know, if you could say steak on an ingredient line, a lot of people would, would like to buy that product. But the pet actually doesn't care. The pet, pet actually wants these nutrients that are contained in those ingredients for the value that it, it's perceiving as far as health and well-being and, and you know, length and of life and all those things we wish for our pets. I wonder, what, what do you think as you, as you look at the, the market ahead? It appears that people want to eat meat. That there's going to be a continual uh, demand for for those cuts that you were talking. Do you see that kind of continuing? And if no, doesn't that mean we're going to have these products available, these high quality uh, nutrition products available for pets? Right. No, absolutely. Uh, if you look as as countries develop, meat consumption per capita just increases dramatically, and and even though you know globally the economy is is maybe down a little bit at the moment. Um, typically what we see is meat still gets consumed. It's just the choice of species that changes. So you may increase poultry or egg or, or if you're close to a waterway fish, uh, protein versus uh, beef or, or pork during those times. But the per capita consumption tends to stay uh, pretty similar. So as we move forward and, and more nations are getting more, more income and, and developing technologies, we, we see rendering increasing. As a matter of fact, here at, at, uh, with North American renderers, along with European colleagues, colleagues in Brazil, which has a very robust rendering industry, we are actually working with other international um, countries to help them set up and develop rendering and, you know, give them lessons learned and, and things, and hopefully they won't make the same mistakes in, in growing their industry that we have here. And so we're, we're very active globally with, with several different uh, countries on developing rendering across the globe. So 
as we increase production of animals, there's always going to be at least parts that, that tend not to get consumed. Um, and, it, and what we've seen globally is as, as countries become more highly developed, there are taste choices more and more we choose not to put on our menu and and liver you know liver is a great example of that and and it's got great nutrition vitamins minerals um uh, fatty acids and protein but a lot of people don't like the stronger flavor of it and so even heart heart has a very different strong iron flavor to it so these things will continue, I think, to drift over into animal food production. And and if we look at, you know, historically, everything we've done in the feed and, and pet food industry has come from co-products of something that was manufactured for human food. And, you know, wheat mids and, and wheat shorts and things like that, that, that wheat was grown to make flour. Soybeans are, have been grown mainly for crushing the oil out and utilizing the oil. And so soybean meal, which, which is another excellent protein source, is, is essentially a co-product. Uh, distiller's grains is another great example. So there, there's all kinds of co-products out there, both plant and animal-derived, that can provide some good nutrition to, to both livestock and companion animals. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I just think we keep cycling through it, but I mentioned it as we go by that, that you know, what, what I as a nutritionist want are a product that provides healthy ingredients for the pet. And, and, and it's interesting then as, as these co-products come out, if the whole ingredient stream is, is being strongly supported by a human consumption, then, of course, I have these other products available that – that, that are, are less expensive. And, and, of course, we don't make cheap pet food, as so anyone will know if you're buying pet food these days. But um, it, is, it is made in a way that's, that's done to uh, benefit the pet and, and use these high-quality ingredients that are, are, are not, you know, not being chosen by, by humans. So I wonder if you if you look at the species, you know, do do you see that you mentioned, you know, it's kind of poultry and swine, beef, maybe some lamb uh, or or mutton. I don't know that market so well. Are that is that is that where most of these uh, co products are being made? They, they do, and and we do see a lot, uh, especially with the growth of aquaculture. Uh, we're, we're seeing more and more products. Uh, oh, interesting. Fish meals and and uh, shrimp meals and things like that with the growth of aquaculture. And again, if we cook these products properly. You know, they chemically kind of break down and then you're providing, you know, more free amino acids that the proteins typically denature during a cooking process. And, um, you know, we cook at a temperature to try to ensure safety and, and the products pathogen free at the end of that cooking step, just like just like you do when you manufacture your pet food. So I think we're going to see more avenues. Insects protein is and, and, and oils are becoming very popular in the press, and, and there's more and more people getting into that avenue. So, um, and then other things like algaes and, and yeast uh, proteins and things are, are becoming more prominent as well. Oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about those latter ones. Um, I, you know, I, I'm not familiar with insect proteins. It's certainly part of, like I said, there's a, a fair amount of publications coming out showing that they are inadequate, again, 
supply for the the nutrients that the pet needs and that that's certainly an avenue that i think many will be interested in what what when you do the rendering process um what what's i guess for me the thing that always i some people like the idea of really close to wild you know and and when you start talking about cooking these meats it seems like it's it's pulling away from that so so just walk us through what why why do you want to cook these meats uh, and, and what's the, maybe a little bit about what's the outcome that you're hoping to get or you're achieving when, when you go through this process you're describing? Right. Well, you know, if you take home muscle cuts or organ meat or anything and you lay it out on your kitchen cabinet for a few days, it, it turns pretty quickly. As soon as, um, you know, anything is, is, the blood stops pumping through their system, decay starts to accelerate. There's enzymatic reactions. There's microflora that start to break down uh, cell membranes and and release uh, uh, other enzymes. And and so because of the breakdown, you can get high oxidative, very negative oxidative ions uh, produced. So, by cooking it, we reduce, uh, and then by cooking it quickly, we reduce the production of those high oxidative ions. And there's uh, a good bit of literature that shows, you know, we don't want those oxidative species to be fed to our animals because they they actually do physiological harm at the gut level and and start to damage gut um, integrity and and things like that. So the whole reason we could use the cooking process is to really slow that rate of decay. And so we cook these materials. We end up with a, a dry protein powder that has a water activity low enough not to support uh, any kind of pathogen growth or anything. And then the other side of that is we end up with the, the animal fats that, that um, you know, we, we were told for a long time saturated fat was bad. And now the science is suggesting that may not be completely true like anything else in, in moderation that we probably need some of that and so uh, animals are the same way I think and and you know it, it depends on the species cats definitely carnivorous they they probably uh, have metabolic pathways set up more to rely on animal sourced uh, materials not that you can't you know if you supplement it correctly you can't feed one otherwise with some plant material but they 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 are set up uh, as carnivores, and dogs. Dogs are pretty omnivorous. Uh, my my hunting dogs go and they eat corn out of the deer feeder and everything else when they get a chance. So I, they just like to try different things all the time. And so, but because we feed these companion animals, um, we have to make sure the nutrients are present and available to be digested because. That's the sole source of diet they're getting. Uh, as humans, we go and we select different items off the shelf and change our menu every day. Uh, our companions don't have the ability to do that. So we have to ensure that we're putting all the nutrients they need in every single bite. And, and uh, we, you know, animal proteins and fats are, are good at supplying a lot of those, along with, you know, vitamin, vitamin mineral premixes and other things to, to formulate uh, a nutritious diet. Well, that makes lots of sense. You know, what, what I hear you saying is you're really 
uh, relying on this idea of complementation. So no one ingredient alone is the perfect food, but you can uh, use multiple ingredients to complement each other to really get that you know, optimum or I guess, I, you know, I don't know what is perfect, but optimum food anyway. I, I wonder, you know, as, as we think about yeah. it, this interesting of oxidation, I, I, I recognize, you know, I, I always tell people, you know, we created fire for a reason and that we needed healthy uh, foods and, and, and fire and heat brings that along. And I always thought, well, you kill the microbes and you, you make that water activity, you know, come down so that the microbial growth is cut back. I hadn't thought about oxidation. Now, that sort of interests me, you know, reactive oxygen species are really harmful. I mean, the body uses everything, right? So it's not like you can just say, well, this is all bad. But, but fighting reactive oxidative species is a, is a pretty common uh, health requirement. Yes. So if you have a process where, where that, uh, that's cut back in the ingredient, I, I, that makes lots of sense to me. Yeah, basically just, you know, cooking something quickly. I mean, we've all had something in the refrigerator that we left too long and it, it you know, has spoiled or decayed and, and we have to dispose of it. It's, it's the same with these materials. And, you know, the materials that we process are about, uh, 70%, maybe closer to 60% water in, in the poultry, uh, but they're, they're high water. There's lots of enzymatic activity occurring to break down tissues. Um, you know, we've all got pathogens uh, on our body and, and, you know, in our microbiome and uh, or potential pathogens. We just, you know, carry them at very low levels, but all that cooking that product as quickly as we can will stop the rate of oxidation and break down from enzymatic uh, reactions and will stop remake, making a lot of those reactive uh, species that you discussed, yeah. as well as, you know, killing the, the potential pathogens present. Well, that sounds, that sounds great. I wonder, you know, as we, as we sort of think together about this, you know, this is, a, this is an industry that a lot of people don't know much about. It kind of supplies an ingredient that, that gets you know, gets into then the, the, the product gets all the praise, right? I fed this food and, and my pet feels great and nobody really, you know, probably cares about that meat co-product that was there. I, I stumbled over the name because we've got lots of different names. Maybe even it might be called chicken or beef or, or something, or it might be a, a meal, chicken meal, uh, a beef meal, you know, those sorts of things. But, but I wonder if you might talk a little bit about, you know, the industry itself, so you, you know, you're hiring people. I've had friends that have worked in the rendering industry. Um, you know, what do you look for as someone might be interested in this? Maybe a student is watching this and saying, you know, that fascinates me. I'd like to, I'd like to be involved with the supply of, of ingredients for pet food. Uh, what, what would you tell that student? It, it's, it, that's a great story. Uh, it, you know, I, I'm going to throw a story up that that I was told is uh, during World War II, our, our friends from Australia did a lot of canned lamb to feed the military, only it wasn't lamb, it was mutton, and mutton has a very strong off flavor, so for, for decades, we couldn't get anyone to eat lamb in this country because uh, the negative connotation, because they were, uh, something was mislabeled. And I think that's kind of similar to rendering. Uh, people that grew up in the country 
they remember rendering plants, but, you know, having a pretty strong odor, uh, just like some, some farms that, that you may have after a rain event, you'll get a stronger odor and, and it's not the most glamorous side of the business, but, uh, there are things we're really proud of. We, uh, we do a voluntary testing program for safety called a, uh, animal proteins per- producers, um, Industry is is API API that we do voluntary testing and we were the first you know out way before FISMA was along API we were doing safety tests uh, for for potential pathogens and and quality of product uh, we had a code of practice which was a voluntary self audit system and we'd have third party auditors come and do audits again way before FISMA came about and. You know, we we go into a lot of different industries, oleochemicals and lubricants, uh, animal feeds, pet foods. Um, you know, there is human rendering. When we think about the the lard or the tallow that you may cook with at home, that's rendered in the same fashion. It's just uh, rendered uh, through a little slightly different process. So uh, all these things, you know, go into um we, we think, while it may not seem to be the most glamorous, we're making good, nutritious products that are very useful. Um, we have probably the best sustainability story of any ingredient uh, out there. Um, we, we are definitely fit into the entire biocircular economy of the food chain, and, and nothing gets wasted. It all gets repurposed and reutilized, and I think those stories are great, and, and we need we need good microbiologists and, and chemists and nutritionists, engineers, and then we need a lot of really good tradesmen to run. Uh, you know, a rending plant is full of very large equipment, and so we, we're really uh, working with trade schools and, and junior colleges and stuff to to source people. But we, we're like the livestock industry. If, if you look at um, – integrated companies we we have about every job under the sun hmm. and we get to make healthy ingredients for pets and work with pet food companies and and uh that that's that's a lot of fun and then uh, our sustainability story i'm very very proud of it and and that that one that's one that's hard to beat by anyone else well the sustainability fits right in again as you think about what all these ingredients would be doing if they weren't put through this process to make the quality ingredients that can be used in pet food uh, those those ingredients would be uh, they would be waste and and totally unsustainable you know i i had a, a little bit of thought that i think people might not <laughs> I often want to talk about the fun of having this kind of integrated team approach you're talking about. Um, it's just, it, it's it's actually delightful to see that team work together and the sum of all of the activities being so successful. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about how, how you look for that team member. What if you wanted someone to be on a team you were leading or, or maybe in one of these positions that you you would be talking about what would be the attributes of that individual that might, you know, intrigue you or think, yes, this is a person that to bring on. Well, I'm, I'm not in HR. And so I, <laughs> my, my ideals may be a little bit different than, than uh, someone that's uh, more competent in human resources. But, uh, you know, 
uh, work ethic. We, we, we work hard. We have a lot of fun, but we work hard in our industry. And that's across all of agriculture. We, whether you're a crop farmer or animal producer, you, you, you have to be ready to work hard. And some days you stay until the job's done. And it, it's some days aren't fun, but spring's always fun when you get the new babies on the ground and, and that, that makes it worth it. And so, um, I think a positive personality and, you know, I, I, I heard a quote the other day, uh, uh, a gentleman that's been in agriculture for uh, many decades, uh, we were having a discussion about hiring and he said one thing that he was told early on when he was interviewing people is make sure they smile mm-hmm. because someone that doesn't smile might might lead to problems. And I think that's linked to, you know, you want people with a positive attitude. Yeah. Uh, teamwork's a must. We we do a lot of things via teamwork. It, it takes a lot of uh, wheels to, to make the bus go. And, and we also do a lot of teamwork exercises across the industry. We, we have, uh, there's a Pet Food Alliance that was actually initiated by the renderers, but it's a open dialogue and, and they fund research to solve uh, quality and safety issues that that happen with animal products that, that affect uh, pet food producers. And so everybody from pet food and, and some packing and, and the rendering industry, they sit around tables, they figure out what the problem is and, and come up with some scientific solutions to solve them. And so teamwork is a must, I, I think, for any good role and those are the kind of things I really look for. And, you know, you don't have to have an ag background. Um, when I was on faculty at Auburn, probably 50%, 60% of the students in animal and poultry sciences didn't come from a farm. And, sure. and we've got fewer and fewer farms out there. But they were interested in, you know, whether it was nutrition or physiology, they were willing to get in the research barns and work. And, and I, I think in ag, you know, we, we always say you've got to, you've got to enjoy getting dirty because sometimes, sometimes you do. And, and so willingness to do that, I think is, is important as well. Well, that, that makes lots of sense. Of course, you're, you're describing an ideal candidate. I, I want to hire that person too, but um, that, that those are all attributes of value, aren't they? So if you look back on your career, we're just kind of in that, in that chat part, but I'm interested in this. Do you, do you think there were, were individuals or, or unique situations that said, look, this is, this is a career choice that makes sense to me? What, can, can you think of any of those that, that really helped you out? Oh, I, you caught me a little off guard. I'm not sure I can think of individuals making those decisions. I've, I've, I've made a couple in, in my career. I guess I, I went to a rendering company uh, with no rendering background and, and actually, it was a role that was more regulatory related. One of the reasons I did that is uh, regulations and policy are a very important part of our business that, that affect a lot of things we do, whether it's OSHA or EPA or, or uh, FDA, CVM or USDA. Uh, we have to abide by specific regulations. And sure. so it was an opportunity for me. I. I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up and I love to learn new things. And so that was an opportunity for me to learn a different, different side of the business and, and an important one. And so I, you know, I've made those choices in my career based off things like that. And, 
and I think the other thing that has helped me is is I was always able and and just very fortunate to have great mentors and and we encourage it and and I know there's mentorships within a lot of organizations um, reach out and help these these new people and 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 explain to them you know the positives and and the benefits and um, help help give them the tools they need to be successful because it's 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 easy for to let someone fail it it takes a little work to help them be successful and you know you always know the good leaders because they're the ones who are the happiest when someone under them gets promoted upward and and maybe even to a, a role that's above them and and those are the best leaders I've known throughout my career yeah that makes lots of sense thanks for thanks for sharing that uh, with us so I think you know I think we I, I at least have a better understanding of this whole process and and I wonder as we as we look back we could say well look we we, we have an, a sustainability need we have a, a pet nutrition need and and we have this ingredient flow that's coming through it that that sort of brings these uh, bring these needs together and that's that's the spot you're you're sitting in we talked a little bit about how we can do that safely and yep. and uh, and with uh, with great assurance that the pet's getting a, a, an ingredient that's valuable, and then also about the people kind of in that mix. I I don't know. Are, uh, anything else coming to mind? I'm kind of thinking maybe we're we're at a place where where yeah we covered it. Well, I just think you know there there's always um, a lot of confusion sometimes, and and you know everybody that has a pet and and i i currently have eight dogs outside that are that are playing and and you know we we have hound dogs that my wife and i raise and we we love them as much as as anyone else and you know everybody wants their pet to be safe and healthy and and have a long life and i think that's important and so you know whether you're making pet food or you're making pet food ingredients there's kind of a joy to be had that you're adding to the health of, of people's companions and, and, and making it safe and high quality for everyone. So, and, and on our side, the sustainability story rolls right in with that. And so I think there's a, a very good overall feeling uh, when you can supply a, a safe, nutritious product that, that it helps the, the environment and the planet and and it helps pet food people uh producers make make a a very nutritious product at the end and but it all takes teamwork it it's from the the packing and processing plants through the rendering process and then working hand in hand with the pet food guys and that's also what kind of makes it fun you you get to see the whole whole chain of of uh the life cycle of that product and then it goes back and gets repurposed at the end so it it's it that that's what brought me back to rendering. I think. No, oh, well, thank you. That's that's you know it's a great life uh, vocational story. So so I'm pleased to hear it, and and I do hope that as people learn about it, they'll be more interested, perhaps attracted to a career in this industry. Because like you said, it's it's not one that meets the it meets the first blush of of you know you're you're coming in as a as a you know prospective employee to think, well, I really would like to do that. But when you learn about it and you think, yes, here's a way to uh, enhance the sustainability of our environment and then to lengthen and enrich a special relationship between people and their pets, words that flow off me pretty easily, but it requires quality ingredients. 
And so the value in, in providing that and, and working in that chain seems very significant to me. So I, I, I hope I can, you know, sort of promote that a bit as, as people think about it, because it's, it's a good place. It's a good place to be. Well, and you've been in touch with the industry for a while, just as I have. I, I, yeah, I'm biased, of course, but <laughs> we have the best people in our industry. We, we, we have the best people in our industry and, and you know, the relationships you build and, and agricultural industries in general, it's a very small world and it's a big family. And so I, I think it's a great place. Uh, and, and we just both pet food struggles and, and, and rendering struggles. And, you know, we need to get the word out there more about the opportunities. Uh, young people, and I know this from my days at Auburn, they just – they aren't always aware of all those opportunities. And so we just have to continue to to go out and speak to groups and of, of young people and FFA and 4-H and uh, universities and other schools and, and try to get that word out there about the opportunities. Yeah, I think that's very helpful because, again, you know, you don't see it in a Hollywood movie. <laughs> it's like whatever the, the social sort of setting for that ultimate job is, uh, doesn't it doesn't get into pet food ingredients. But when you when you actually learn about it, and, and many people say that actually, you fascinate me by that because a a constant theme through this podcast is people saying, you know, we really work in a community that uh, that I like. That, that's mutually supportive and accepting and, and uh, uh, that strong capacity of that teamwork. And maybe we see the requirements for the interconnection. I'm, I'm a, a nutritionist, but I need ingredient suppliers and I need manufacturers and, you know, that whole team together. Expertise I don't have, right? I, I know I don't have that expertise, but other people do. And so that's the value of bringing that team together you spoke of. Absolutely. And and today's rendering, I, I mean, the, the plants being built are much more sophisticated. The, the equipment and process has come a long way. Uh, odor abatement. Uh, we I'm going to get this wrong. I think it's four billion or trillion gallons. Uh, we have a lot of infographics on our website, but um, billions of gallons of water are cleaned through our uh, process. Because, like I said, we, we're cooking you know, 60% water out of this material and we have to clean that and, and apply yeah. it back to the environment and, and, you know, after it's been cleaned and, and treated. So, um, you know, there's just great opportunities for environmental engineers and chemists and, and everything. And it's not just rendering, it's pet food does the same uh, with their process and, and uh, you know, the the livestock industry does the same as well. And, and you'll see people that, that kind of go back and forth between those three some and, and yes. uh, enjoy learning about the different aspects. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you, Dr. Sarkey, for our uh, interesting conversation and the time together. Uh, I, hope, I hope that we can stay in touch, that this is, this is an ongoing discussion. And I know there's, there's areas we didn't talk about and maybe – Another time we can talk a little bit about the regulatory aspects, maybe some about, about the, uh, the way we might reach people with the story uh, that, that really, really is so important, uh, but not another discussion. So thank you today. Thanks again for our conversation. 
Looking to elevate your brand and captivate audiences through the power of podcasting? Look no further. Introducing the custom podcast brought to you by Wisemetics, where we take care of the behind the scenes so that you can focus on what truly matters. Podcasting has become an invaluable tool for brand awareness, but let's face it, putting it into practice can be a daunting task. It's incredibly time-consuming and requires technical know-how. But don't worry, we've got you covered. With our experienced team at the help, we'll handle the operational aspects so you can channel your energy into what your company does best. Are you ready to unleash the podcasting potential of your company? Schedule a call with one of our specialists today at the link in the bottom of this episode. You'll also receive a free podcast strategy consult tailored to the unique needs and goals of your business.